In the Bible, the word mystery refers to something revealed but partially hidden. In both the Old and New Testaments, it refers to the mystery regarding end times. Paul talks about the mystery that has now been revealed in several passages. For example, in Romans chapter 16, verse 25 to 27, the apostle writes, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. And again he writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are in Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ. Or we could read Christ himself, as some of your versions read. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul also either to, uh, either, uh, appears either to have quoted or penned a hymn regarding the incarnation in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where he writes, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Therefore, the Incarnation was a mystery revealed, yet hidden in the Old Testament, and revealed fully in the New Testament. Though not exactly the same, think of mystery as something stated explicitly with implicit meaning. For example, the statement, I love you. What does it mean? Well, what does it mean when it's directed to your child? How about one member of the church to another? Or how about a husband to a wife, or a wife to a husband? The same terms, I love you. They each refer to an idea, but they each have an implicit meaning depending on the context. So it's kind of like that. God becoming man, or the incarnation, was revealed in the Old Testament. And we saw last week how that how that comes up in a couple passages. But it wasn't fully revealed. It was a mystery and it was hidden, but yet it was still there. You could see it, but you couldn't really make it out clearly. The writer of Hebrews tells us God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And the Son is the exact rep representation of His nature. Um, he's the glory of, he's, the, he's, the, he's the, the shining brightness of God's glory. The Apostle John writes, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. And Jesus teaches us the same, same ideas. 
He says, when Philip asked him, show us the Father, Jesus says to him, Philip, have you known me so long that you, you don't know this? That he who has seen me has seen the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? He told the Jews, you search the scriptures because in them you think it, that, in, that you think in them you have eternal life. And it is these that testify of me. If you would believe Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote of me. Well, how did Moses write to him? How did Moses write about him? Well, he wrote about him and the other writers wrote about him. And it was revealed, but it was hidden. So that's what, that's what the word mystery means. And uh, we want to look at another passage today. Last week we looked at two passages in which God appeared as man. We looked at Abraham and Jacob. Well, this week we're going to consider a passage in Judges. So I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 13. But before we delve into that passage, let's pray. Gracious Father, we stand on holy, the holy ground of your word. May we receive it humbly. May our ears be ready to hear. May our hearts be ready to receive. May our minds be ready to perceive. May our wills be ready to walk in the light as you are in the light. We ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate us so that we might grasp what you teach us and how what you teach should translate into our lives that we may live before you. And we ask you this in the name of of your Son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you will, to Judges chapter 13. You'll be familiar with the story. It's about Manoah and his wife. And I was trying to ponder as, as to why in Judges 13, the wife's name is never mentioned. <laughs> Manoah's name has mentioned several times. I tried to tease that out, and I haven't been able to yet. But um, it's about Manoah and his wife. It's about who appears to them. So look with me, first of all, in Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 7. We read there that there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Abraham, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren. Now, I don't know why he had to tell her that, because I think she probably knew him. Anyway, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to see me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then 
drink no wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And I want you to notice something. Mrs. Mrs. Manoah was barren, of course, and uh, like I said, that you see that coming up at Abraham, you see it coming up here, you see it coming up in other places, which should cause you some little bit of a surprise when Zechariah says to Gabriel, how is it that, that she can have a child? I'm an old man, she's an old lady, she's barren, well, I don't understand this, and Gabriel says to him, well, fine, uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to talk until the child is born, and you're going to name him John. Some people say that the response of Zechariah to that announcement about John was the same as the response of Mary and her response to Gabriel when he told her about the Christ, that she was going to give birth to him. But I want to draw your attention to something, and that is Zechariah had previous revelation. For Zechariah to ask the question was almost an insult because it's like he hadn't read the scriptures, but we know that he had. And so he had really no cause to question what God would do. Where Mary, there was no revelation that any virgin ever gave birth to a child. There's prophecy that a virgin would, and there's always dispute about that passage, but there's no pro there's there, other than that, there, no virgin ever gave birth to a child. So for her to say something like that is perfectly, you know, reasonable. But for Zechariah, no. Well, here, Manoah is asking the question, is that going to be? So she comes to him and she says to him that an angel of Yahweh appeared to her. Verse 3. And the angel of Yahweh, that's all, if you in your scripture, if it's all capitals, L-O-R-D, then it's referring to the name of God, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. The angel of Yahweh appeared to the woman and said to her, and then we read the rest of it. So the angel is described there as the angel of Yahweh. Thirdly, notice that this child is to be a Nazarite for life. Um, you read that, you read about what a Nazarite had to be when he chose to be a Nazarite for a while in Numbers chapter 6. And John the Baptist, I don't think he's ever called a Nazarite, but yet um, Elizabeth was supposed to do the same kind of thing. She wasn't supposed to drink wine or strong drink, indicating that he was at least set apart from his birth to serve, to serve the Lord. Now, I don't believe that Samson is some kind of a precursor of John the Baptist, and that's not my point. My only point is that there, there's similarities between them in terms of the vow of the Nazarite. So he's identified as an angel of Yahweh. And then in verse 6, she says to Manoah, her husband, a man of God came to see me. A man of God. So angel of Yahweh, we have man of God. And then we have angel of God later on in verse 6. So what is being described here? 
it appears to be a man, and yet the text is telling us on the one hand that it's the angel of Yahweh, the other hand it's the angel of God, and then on the other hand it's, it's a man. And so you see the same kind of interrelationship occurring when we read about Abraham, and the same kind of interrelationship occurring when we read about Jacob, and here you see it again. And what's the point? My only point in all of this is that we read in the Old Testament indications that God took on human form. Now, it doesn't say that he became a man. It's just God took on human form. And the only point that I'm trying to make in these sermons of last week and this week is that the idea of the Incarnation is found in the seedbed of the Old Testament. It's, there's explicit statements of man, but it's, um, there's more implicit there than there is explicit. We, we get an idea of that, but we don't get a full revelation of that. Why? Because that idea does not come to its fullness until the mystery is re revealed in Jesus Christ. He is the mystery that we read about in the Old Testament. And so you see those interrelations there. Now we read about we read about Manoah's prayer to God and God's response in Judges 13 verses 8, 8 through 14. So we read that Manoah prayed to the Lord and, and said, O oh Lord, please let the man, the man of God, now we're back to the man of God, whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and now we have, now the angel of God came again to the woman and she, as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, wasn't with her, so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord, now it's back to angel of Yahweh, said to Manoah, Of all that is to the of all I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or read anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Now, here we see angel of Yahweh and man, man of God, angel of God, again being repeated in the verse. Why? What is going on? Well, the word angel, we have to understand, has many different applications. It can mean a messenger. So this person could be a messenger from Yahweh and be a man. And the word angel means means messenger too, so he could be, you know, named a messenger from God. So he's a messenger from God, he's a messenger from Yahweh, he's just a messenger, but he, he could, it could be that he's just a man, that's all he is. And God sent this man to see these people and talk to them. And so Manoah questions him, the angel, or the messenger says the same exact thing to Manoah that he said to his wife. And they are to observe that. Let her observe everything that I've commanded you. 
Then we come to this meal. Judges 13, verses 15 to 20. A meal for the angel of Yahweh, whose name is wonderful. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to Yahweh. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of Yahweh. So now you're getting the distinction between the man and the angel of Yahweh, and Manoah's not able to tell the difference. So Manoah says, well, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of Yahweh said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of Yahweh went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Just imagine that scene, if you will, for just a moment. What does it remind you of? Abraham, right? We just read about Abraham last week, and what did he do? The three men show up before him, and he says, Oh, let me wash your feet and give you a little morsel to eat, and then he goes and kills the calf and, you know, gives them a whole meal. Only that, in that instance, they, they ate. So what you're seeing here is what some people call echoes, right? Some people call these echoes of Scripture. Uh, the same themes are just kind of being, being reinterpreted, or not being reinterpreted, they're being, uh, they're being uh, used again in other passages. Some people call them illusions. Sometimes we can understand what the illusion is uh, exactly about. Other times we can't. We just know they're illusions back to that idea of, you know, a human being, entertaining, feeding, someone who is identified later as, as Yahweh, as, as the Lord. So, Manoah gets the food and he prepares the offering. But what's really interesting is that he says, tell me your name. And again, <coughs> You go back to Jacob and that incident at Peniel, and Jacob does the same thing. Tell me your name. And the angel, and the angel asks him, well, why should I tell you my name? Why do you ask? And then in that scene too, the conclusion is that, they, that he saw God. Well, Noah does the same thing here. He asks the angel's name, and the angel tells him, why do you ask my name, seeing it, it is wonderful? It could be that that word, because it does mean that, it means, it could be incomprehensible. In other words, the word wonderful reads, refers to something beyond human comprehension. It's like a miracle. It happens and you don't know why. You can't explain it. It happens. God's done it, like the miracles of Jesus. Well, that's what his name is like. It's like... It's not something that you can pin down. It, 
There's something that you can't fully grasp, something you can't fully understand. And he's wonderful. He's awesome. He's the person, he's, he's, he's the God you bow down before and worship, right? Well, that's what happens. That as we come to the last part of Judges chapter 13, verses 21 to 25, the angel of Yahweh is identified as God. So the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah. Remember, he went up in the flame of the of the offering. Can't you imagine that? <laughs> you're standing there talking to someone. Imagine this. You're standing there talking to someone. You put a sacrifice on this altar, whatever it was. You, you light it on fire, and as it's burning up, this person you're talking to goes up in the flame with, with, with the sacrifice. All the imagery, right? You could just, we could just get a hold of, of the imagery of, that, that God has, the artistry of God has as he communicates these truths to us. Because what happens, you know, when Christ, he's sacrificed, right? He's the last sacrifice. He, is, he ascends into heaven as the last sacrifice. All these things are just, they're, they're revealed to us, but they're mysteries. They're hidden, but they're fulfilled finally in Christ. And so this, this angel of Yahweh, he, he goes up in the flame of fire, and then he appears no more to Manoah and his wife. And that's when Manoah understood that he was the angel of Yahweh. Then he's scared. <laughs> I would be too. <laughs> what shall we do? We shall surely die, for we have seen who? We have seen God. But his wife said, Well, if Yahweh, now you've got you to gotta connect the words, right? Because Manoah says, we have seen God. Okay, well, if Yahweh, who's Yahweh? He's God. If he had intended, uh, if he had intended meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things and or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Now, the woman's not afraid. I always wonder, see, I still struggle with it. Why does God mention Manoah's name? He's the one, that's, he's the one that thinks we're going to be killed now, and the woman is the one who figures it all out and says, well, wait a minute. God's not going to do that. You know, if he intended to do that, he would have. You know, he wouldn't have ever told us all this stuff. So she kind of calms it down. But notice uh, that verse, verse 20. They fell on their faces to the ground. They worshipped. It was in that moment that they realized who they were, who they were dealing with. <laughs> It's in that moment that they realized that they had seen God. Just like Abraham had seen the Lord. Just like Jacob had seen God. Now they've seen God. And they're right. Manoah's right to be afraid. Um, and we should be afraid too. We should. 
we aren't we don't you know you know Americans don't have much fear uh, for the Lord. Uh, we really don't. Um, I, I got this quote in here. I, I wanted to read it to you. I, I put it in the bulletin as an insert for you, but it's on the back of Greg Houston's letter. This is from Roland Baton. Uh, he wrote he wrote the he wrote a biography of Luther and. But anyway, he, he makes this statement. Uh, Luther made this statement at the time he was, he was a, a priest. He was going to serve in Roman Catholicism. He served the Mass, right? It's a reenactment of the crucifixion of Christ and the offering up of the body and blood of Christ. And they see that as something literal. And at the time, that's what Luther believed as well. And so I don't want to get into all that detail. But what I want to do is to draw your attention to... Luther's reaction to what he was about to do um, because we need his kind of awe and fear not not driven by what he believed but driven by the truth Luther said this he, he said um, we offer unto thee the living the true the eternal God at these words, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken. I thought to myself, with what tongue shall I address such majesty, seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince? Who am I that I should lift up mine eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? The angels surround him. At his nod, the earth trembles. And, I, and shall I, a miserable little pygmy, say, I want this, I ask for that? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin, and I am speaking to the living, eternal, and the true God. American Christians, I don't know about other Christians, but I know American Christians do not have that sense of the... Of, of the majesty and the holiness and the greatness of God. We don't share that kind of that kind of fear and trembling. Um, and I know that people don't like, well, you know, God doesn't want us to be afraid. No, but He wants us to respect Him. And so often, so often we don't respect Him. So often when we think about this truth, it's just like, ah, Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to go to heaven. Ah. And that's it. There's no, there's no concept of the majesty and the awesomeness of our God like was for them, like was for many Old Testament saints. And the thing that bothers me, for me personally, is that here I stand with the mystery revealed And there's not that kind of a response. Beloved, we see again that the Old Testament revelation of God serves as the seedbed for the Incarnation. The people should have seen it. Jesus was right when he said, The Scriptures talk about me. 
and there should be surprise when the people can't see it. But it's because of their hardened hearts that they can't. The Old Testament was a mystery. Something revealed. God appearing as man. Yet something hidden. The incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. The mystery is fulfilled in Christ. As Jesus said to the Jews of his day, so he says to us today, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that testify about me. Beloved, this Christmas, don't let, or let this Christmas overwhelm you not with glitter and gifts, because that's what happens, but with the one who was called wonderful. Let his gift of eternal life be found in your hearts. Let's pray. Blessed God, we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. And I, for one, have to ask you to, that you would humble me and bring me down, bring me on my knees to you to realize how awesome and wonderful you are. That there is a proper place for fear and trembling because you are the living God. At your word, everything exists and has existed. And at your word, it could be taken away. Every breath that I breathe, every breath we all breathe, is a gift of your grace. And you could take it away in the next breath. Holy Father, as we approach the celebration of Christmas. Let us enjoy the presents and the gifts and the decorations that we have. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we see through them to the greater glory, to the wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask you this in his name. Amen. Amen. Please turn to uh, hymn number 700 and... No, uh, 193. 193.